Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Uh, in 2011, Amy and I were traveling. We did a bit of travel and uh, we, we trained up the west coast of America. Uh, we flew into LA and then had a, a pretty sort of fairly boring train ride between LA and San Fran, sort of a lot of flat fields and crops and uh, the, you know, went through Bakersfield, which is just full of wheat, where bakers have fields. And um, we traveled on up, then we had four days in San Francisco, and then I was really looking, to the next, looking forward to the next stretch of the train journey with Amtrak. Um, and their, their, I think their, um, their motto at the time was, never disappoints, which you're about to hear, okay? Uh, I was really looking forward to this train ride. Basically what happens is they tell you to get on the 9 p.m. train from San Francisco which means you travel through all this kind of flat, kind of sort of bit more boring scenery in the night because this is an 18-hour train trip, okay? And then as you wake up, you're waking up to the Rockies and you're going over ravines and valleys and mountains and snow caps and you're traveling by train through the Rockies and this is what so many people want to do and we had paid for and we we're excited about. So we rock up and we're there nice and early at the train station I think we were there at 8pm, we got our tickets all printed and we're waiting in the waiting area. 9 o'clock came, no train. 9.30, no train. 10pm, no train. Always delivers, Amtrak. Um, Exceptional journeys. Um, And uh, we waited 10.30, 11 o'clock, and there's this big group of British uh, tourists there. Anyone British? Just Valerie? Is she the only one? Okay, okay, there's a few British here. And there's... These British people were saying, this would never happen in Europe. This would never happen in Europe. No way. No way. And um, they're all complaining. And, um, and we're just sitting there thinking, well, oh, how much of this journey are we going to miss? Anyway, 11 p.m., midnight, 1 a.m. 1 a.m. it comes over the speakerphone. For those travelling to Portland, in an American voice, um, for those travelling to Portland, there has been an accident with the train. The train had an accident at a level crossing, um, and the train will be here in the next hour. And we go, okay, 2 p.m., and I'm calculating, are we going to see the Rockies? You know, are we going to see it? Anyway, we, um, we waited, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and I'm thinking, oh, man. We got talking with this group of people, and we devised a plan to hire a car and just <laughs> stuff the Amtrak. Um, and, and we thought through it all, and then the only person with American full license was the first person needing to get off at Reading. Well, okay, that's not going to work. Um, I was thinking I could illegally drive a car from Reading to... Um, but anyway, uh, we didn't do that. Uh, I fell asleep and um, on this awkward sort of chair in this lobby, and then I was awoken to this lovely lady coming around. She's like, che- complimentary cheeseburger. Um, <laughs> Which, firstly, she'd woken me, so that wasn't that complimentary. And, uh, and I was thinking, a cheeseburger, we were sort of promised a meal on the train, and it was literally just an American flat, dirty cheeseburger, like $1 cheeseburger. And, um, yeah, I was thinking, wow, this is complimentary. Okay, uh, 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m., the train comes in, smashed all up on the front. It had hit a tractor, like a big harvest tractor, somewhere in Bakersfield, where they fields for, for baking. And um, anyway, this train pulls in, and I'm like, should we train out the, change out the train? You know, like, are we hopping on this thing? Anyway, massive big train, 
and we hop on at 6.30 a.m. to start this journey. And we're traveling, we get about 100 kilometers up, and we stop in Sacramento, which is the capital of California, and they put over the speakerphone that the train's still having issues. We're like, yeah, no kidding, it hit a tractor. <laughs> and, and we wait there for two and a half hours, in the train, in the train. And then they fixed that, and they traveled along, and we stopped in the dark. Uh, by that time, it, we went through all the boring land in the daytime, and it went dark as we were getting into the Rockies. And we were stuck in the middle of the Rockies at one point for an hour and a half, dead still, while they were trying to fix this electrical issue. We traveled all through the night and missed all the scenery. <laughs> and arrived at Portland, had missed our hotel booking, had missed some things we'd booked in Portland, and I thought, man, waiting sucks. I do not like waiting. Who does not like waiting? Yeah. Okay, there's a few people who are Jesus in this room who think they like Jesus. Uh, we all don't really like waiting, eh? We don't really like waiting. But waiting and being faithful is a part of character development and a central part of God shaping history or his story. I saw the other night a quote uh, that says, that a man's, I'll be home in five minutes, is about as true as a woman's, I'll be ready in five minutes. <laughs> and, and I had a, a, a male maths teacher who said, I've spent a good deal of my life waiting for my wife in my driveway. Um, we don't really like waiting, do we? Did, any, did Nick, you not catch that? Uh, a man's, I'll be home in five minutes, is about the same as a woman's, I'll be ready in five minutes. Yeah, you got that, you got it, yeah. You're feeling, you're resonating with that? Yep, that's good. Um, man, I don't want to wait, but being faithful is part of God's plan. For the last few weeks, we've been covering this theme of new beginnings. We've been looking at the new beginnings through the lens of the book of Genesis, through the beginning of Scripture. And we've been looking at this book of the Bible and pulling out ideas of ways that God can get us into new beginnings. In week one, we heard about new beginnings that start with this understanding of the goodness of God. That for new beginnings to be happening, we need to realize how good God is. Um, we spoke of Adam, and that as we latch into God's goodness, we can do supernatural things. Uh, he can do supernatural things in us. Then last week we learned that new beginnings start with us having a teachable spirit that we cannot, cannot have God create new work in us and do new things in us if we're unwilling to humble ourselves to his ways, that we need to be teachable and the ramifications of not being teachable are huge. Well, I was looking on through Genesis with this theme of new beginnings in mind and the next character that truly stood out to me was Abraham. And wow, Abraham is a powerful figure. Um... He was a person who walked this earth 4,000 years ago, one of the ancients and pivotal figures for us as Christians, but also for Jews and for Muslims. We are the descendants of Abraham, and so is Jesus. This man is held up as an example of faith and an example of fruitfulness and of favor. A powerful, real-life example of God working in with people who desire him. Uh, maybe your comprehension of Abraham is that he's the father of God's people. Yeah? 
that's what we think of. And maybe all you know of Abraham is the Sunday school song, if we're honest, yeah, yeah. Who knows the Sunday school song? Yeah. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. Um, amen, yeah. Hey, while true and catchy, the problem with Sunday school songs is they're a bit simplistic, aren't they? And they cut straight to the end outcome without often showing the context, the challenges, or the conflicts. Yeah? Abraham had a lot of those. And um, if we're to be really honest with our Sunday school kids, maybe the song could be a bit more like this. Here we go. Father Abraham had many probs. Many probs had Father Abraham. Ungodly father, chucked out from his homeland, middle of a famine, his wife stolen off him twice, outnumbered by five kings, nearly killed, bad prophecy of his kid's future, couldn't have kids with Sarah, had to send his other son away into the desert, had an estranged son, told to kill his beloved son, and circumcised at the age of 100. So let's just praise the Lord. You know, you know that's, that's the honest Abraham Sunday school song, isn't it? That life's actually a challenge. See, the problem with our sugarcoating of songs is that it doesn't often show the full story and we only see sometimes the outcome, that he was the father who had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. Um, when we read of these Bible heroes, we often remember all the mountaintop moments, the, all the epic moments, the biggest parts of the scene, the biggest parts of a life. It's like a highlight reel of these lives that were just generally pretty tough and then have these maybe massive God moments. So many Bible characters. In fact, I don't really think there's many Bible characters that just had it cruisy. You tell me later, I'm, I'm happy to find out, but life is a challenge and these heroes are people who overcome challenges, cling on to God over time and God brings them through. The God encounter moments are the things we focus on, but we often don't grasp the battle before the breakthrough. Across so many of these Bible heroes, they face colossal challenges. Um, we see and we think about these things, it's like the tip of the iceberg. We see the tips of the iceberg, but we don't often recognize what has gone into it beneath. All the things that have gone into it. Let me tell you this, Abraham is a story of new beginnings. But God is patient and is willing to do his thing over decades to bring about a new beginning through Abraham. God is patient. So I'll just do a really quick, this is your life of Abraham. And some of us might not know this story, so I'll just cover all the details uh, really quickly. So Abra Abram, uh, who God later named Abraham, meaning father of nations, is originally from a place called Ur in Mesopotamia. His father was unfaithful to God and that he worshipped other idols and, and pretend gods. Uh, Abram gets married to Sarai, who God later named Sarah. He is called at the age of 75, you know, 10 years into the pension, um, to go into uncharted land later to be called Canaan, which is modern-day Israel, to start a new nation and have a new family. So at 75, he's getting told to have a new family and it, there'll be a new nation come out of him. 
Okay. The problem being that Abraham and Sarah cannot have kids. And the Bible says that Sarah is past the years of childbearing. So they battle along trying to live up to God's promises, which year after year don't seem to be happening. Eleven years later, when Abraham's 86, uh, Sarah takes matters into her own hands and says, Hey, Abraham, this isn't working. God hasn't provided. Why don't you take my Egyptian servant, um, maid Hagar, and have a child with her? And for some reason, Abraham does. He takes Hagar, as was custom at the time, as his wife, and they bear a son, Ishmael. But this was their plan. God still had his plan. And he tells Abraham at the age of 99 that he'll have a son. And by a biological God miracle, Sarah becomes pregnant with a son at the age of 90. Um, Plunkett was pretty worried. Um, they, they have the son. They have the son. And God's instruction, at God's instruction, they called him Isaac. The promise is fulfilled and Abraham leads this group of people to become clean and holy before, before God, to be ready to inherit the land and the nation that was to come, the nation that was to be Israel. Meanwhile, there's this conflict and despite his compassion and wanting to look after them, Hagar and Ishmael get sent off into the desert and many Bible scholars believe that this was the beginning of the lineage of Arabs and that of Islam. Meanwhile, Isaac's descendants are the Judeo lineage that came down to Jesus and sort of by extension came to us. But that's a whole nother sermon. God desires to see Abraham's faith and heart. And when Isaac is about 14 years old, this precious child they'd waited so long for, he asks Abraham to go and make a sacrifice. Really quickly, a sacrifice at that time in this setting was that um, rather than going to a church and offering worship, what you would do is they were all sort of like hunter-gatherers. They would get their best animal. They would go to a mountaintop generally, build a little rock altar. You'd take your best thing that you had and say, God, life isn't about me. This is my best animal. And they were poverty-stricken farmers. And they would take their best lamb, slaughter it, and gift, gift it up to God as a burnt offering. They'd burn it. They wouldn't even eat it. It was just like, God, you can have everything. You have the best of me. That was the way they worshipped. Okay? So that was what the sacrifice was at this time. But this was different, okay? Abraham and Isaac go, 14-year-old Isaac, 114-year-old Abraham go, and they take some servants, and they tell the servants to stay at the bottom of the hill. They walk up the hill, and they're carrying wood, and they're carrying this torch to go and make this sacrifice. And Isaac goes, hey, Dad, we don't have a sacrifice to make. And, and Abraham says, yeah, well, well, God will provide. And he knows what God's asking him to do. Really? Cool. Did everyone hear that? God will provide himself a lamb. a lamb, my son. Yep. So he goes up, and um, this is a test of God's, God testing Abraham to see how faithful he was. They build this altar. Abraham grabs Isaac, ties him up, puts him on the altar, and pulls out this knife because God says that you have to sacrifice the son that you've waited so long for. And as he lifts up the knife, I can imagine with tears in his eyes, 
In Genesis 22 verse 10 he says, Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have withheld, uh, you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Wow, amazing, eh? Abraham looked up and there in the thicket or scrubby bush, they didn't have Roundup back then, um, there's, there's this ram caught with its horns. Must have been a big scrub. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, and to this day it is called on the mountain that the Lord provides. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Which is what God did over time. God made a promise to Abraham that went through Isaac and onto his son Jacob. And Abraham himself didn't get to see, the, the scripture says he didn't get to see it, and that he sojourned in the land, as in, as in like a traveler. He was a traveler in the land. He traveled, but God blessed Abraham's faithfulness, and his descendants got to inherit things because of his faithfulness. And his descendant, Jesus, ultimately took possession of all things under heaven and earth and was the thing that blessed all things and was the blessing of all people. Okay, so it's sort of like figurative, but then it became this powerful thing in Jesus. And they did inherit the land. It was a real uh, inheritance, which is what God did over time. God made a promise and he fulfilled it. See, this is this powerful story of God calling and making a promise to Abraham, having to be full of faith, faithful and consistent over many years for this new beginning to come to light, right? God made promises that seemed beyond imaginable and humanly possible, and Abraham had to stay faithful and wait for the right time. Right people and the right intervention. He tried to force God's plan, didn't he? And he tried to take it into his own hands with Hagar, the servant. But as scripture says, God cannot be mocked. A person reaps what they sow. He took it into his own timing, into his own capacity. Who does that? Guilty. But it wasn't a God thing. God made a promise of something new. A new son, a new purpose, a new land a new influence, a new movement. See, God had new things in mind. See, God promised something new was coming. He didn't promise something was going to happen now. See, there's a difference between new and now. When God says new things are coming, His timeline can be a year, it can be a decade, it can be a thousand years. We live in a now society, right? Fast food, Instagram, instant photos, um, Uber Eats, you name it. Everything is instant. 
But God is this patient God who will build character and people and promises over time. He's happy for us to wait. And not just waiting for a broken train in San Francisco. He is happy for us to wait for things of his promises and of his callings and of his blessings over many years. God set a promise to Abraham 4,000 years ago that started with his faithfulness, small things, and is still working its way out in fruitfulness today. Okay? So we're talking 4,000 years of the story being told, and it's being told in this room right now. God says there are new things happening. He promises that he's going to do a new thing, but that doesn't always mean that the new thing is going to be absolutely now, that it's going to be a now thing. Isn't that a blessing? That we know that God is patient and that over time we can see his faithfulness. The timeline of God's promises are really stretched out. God is patient with his plan. Abraham, while receiving this promise, also gets a prophecy that the people of Israel, his descendants, would be living in capture for 400 years in Egypt as slaves, which happens. This is a long promise. 430 years after Abraham's death, we have God doing this new thing again with Moses taking the Israelites, the captured Israelites, millions of them, out of Egypt through God's intervention, doing a new thing. He parts the sea, God parts the sea, the Israelites get through, and the Egyptians get smashed by the sea, destroying all these evil Egyptian slave runners. And we read in Isaiah 43, which is a further 700 years after Moses. Okay, we're talking long time. This is said in Isaiah 43. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and the reinforcements together, and lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. See, we're talking hundreds of years between some of the promises that Abram had to start in and the fulfillment happening for years and years and years to come. And then Isaiah looks back on that and celebrates that. See, God isn't a (laughs) has-been. Go and tell some people. (laughs) Go shake them. God isn't a has-been. He's doing a new thing. And he's been doing a new thing for six millenniums. He's doing a new thing in us. We read in the Bible that God's mercies are new every morning. Lamentations 3.22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. See, God is a creator of new things happening. It's kind of like this renewal thing constantly happening with us through Jesus. And that's the difference. Jesus broke through and became the thing that can create in us a new thing. See, God isn't stuck in the past and he doesn't want to have you stuck in the past. He doesn't want to have you stuck in who you've been, what you've done, what's been happening. He's doing a new thing and he wants to do a new thing in you. But we have to be open to it. And we, want, we need to have new things happening in us 
when we invite him into our lives. He sees us as new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Man, we can just so live in the past. We can so live in who we've been. Do you know Satan doesn't know your future? Because he's not God. God knows your future. What does Satan know? He only knows your past. That's all he can see. He's half. He's nothing. (laughs) He's only getting half the story. He only wants to remind you of your past, of your sin, of the dumb stuff you've done. That's where Satan lives, is in your past. God wants to live in the now and wants to invite you into the promises of his future and create in you a new thing, okay? If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. The list goes on through scripture. There's talk of new wine, new songs, new gifts, new churches, new methods. God is into new things and he's into renewal. The word new is mentioned over 280 times in Scripture. If you don't believe God's into new things, don't know what you're reading, okay? God shows us through Abraham that there is real, a real no age bracket thing on this calling. Is that cool? That there's no age bracket. You're 75 and he says, I'm going to build you a new nation and you're going to have a new family. Wow. There's no age bracket in God's kingdom there's no age limit to doing something new if you are feeling like the best years are behind you i want to encourage you today that god sees that there's plenty of awesome things ahead that god has great things ahead that you don't need to live in the past and like abraham we can be inspired that god wants to do a new thing in us um Part of this trip, we ended up in Italy with my wife and I, and um, we went to this beautiful town called Florence. And it was just an incredible city, and we started by walking up to this top lookout, and you look out over this beautiful big city full of terracotta roofs, just an amazing city, really, really old city, sort of been slowly building for the last thousand years or so, maybe even more. And um, around about 1500, um, so sort of 500 odd years ago, uh, they started building this cathedral. It might have been in the 1600s. And we went and we, we, from the top of the hill, we could see this beautiful dome and this amazing cathedral. And it was like, man, we have to see that. Like, way down there, we have to go see that. We meandered through the streets and had pizza and um, did all sorts of cool stuff. And we got to this cathedral and it was just like, whoa. And we could all of a sudden realize how, how it towered above the whole city skyline. And... Um, I went in, I read a few plaques in Italian, fluent, none, it was in English. Um, and <laughs> and there was, there was a, a thing there that said the years that it was built. And I think it, built, it was built over 280 years. And the life expectancy at the time would have been what, 35, 40? So there's people who are building the foundations way down below the ground, who generations to come we're yet to see the fulfillment of that cathedral, right? They were working in the foundations like, I wonder what it's going to look like. I'm not even allowed to see the plants, you know? There's people who built in the midsections, were putting the rafters on, and they died before they even got to see the roof go on. This cathedral got built over 280 years. And that's just a physical thing, right? That's just a physical temple which 
whatever. There's spiritual things going on that we are laying the foundations for that we aren't even to see. There's things of generations to come, just like Abraham laying down with his faithfulness decisions and sacrifices that would affect generations to come, that he wouldn't even see the structure of, he wouldn't even see the fruit of. There are things that we can build in the spiritual things now and in the ways we do ministry today and in the ways we do family today that can affect generations of what we're building. I read my granddad's memoirs. I never met him. His name was Campbell. That's dad's dad. And he built some amazing stuff um, that he left to uh, dad. And he died at the age of 66, um, along with a lot of debt associated and blessings and curses. And then that's, that's flown on to um, the blessings that we get to live in and work on now with farm and stuff like that. And I was looking at his memoir, and at 26, he owned a bicycle and a suitcase, okay? He didn't have anything, and at 66, quite a different story. But the decisions that he was making in 1938 as a 26-year-old man of God is affecting me in 2020. So we're talking, what's that? How many? 92 years, 92 years ago, what he was deciding to do and the way he worked, and the way he was going to do things, and sacrifice, and, and get ahead, and do all those sort of things in the physical, is what is affecting the land that we are living on and living off now, okay? See, God's wanting to do a work over generations. That's in the physical. In the spiritual, we are called to lay down faithfulness, sacrifice, and commitment to God, and that affects generations to come, okay? God is wanting to do a work across generations, and we aren't too old to build a new thing, to, to shape new things, okay? On a kingdom God level, he's wanting to do new things in us today that will shape destinies and families and moko and all sorts, okay? Individually, we have an opportunity through God's strength to do new things for our families, to sow into God, to sow into his ways, new things into our family that will affect generations to come. The problem with this town, big call, big generalization coming, <laughs> you're all ready. <laughs> the problem with this town is a lot of men are boys and they're not sacrificing and laying down the foundations for their families, right? And they're not getting into God who is the steerer and the hope and the solidness in their life. Okay, so that's the problem with our town. It starts with men. If that's my opinion, because they need to lead and we have a lack of leadership within our families and within our homes and God needs to provide leadership. And then out of that, promise and blessing and, and women have all this power in shaping the family. We, we need God to step in, eh? Do we need God in this town? Do we need God to shape things and generations? Abraham teaches us that we're never too old, we're never too unable never too ungifted, never too sinful or broken to be a part of a new beginning. God's mercies are new every day, and those mercies are for us to step into His ways and step into His calling. Do you believe it? I just want to round out with two keys that I think open doors to new beginnings. Okay, So two keys that open the door to new beginnings in our lives. The first one is, we cannot force new things. God has to do the work. Okay? 
I've said all that stuff before about us stepping out and doing all that stuff, and that's true. We need to do that, but God needs to be a part of that and almost in charge of that. And we need to be humble enough and teachable to step into that. We can't force things. See, doing it our way rather than waiting for His way leads to only half of the hope, half of the story, and half of the influence. We can still kind of have God's blessings in base terms, but when we do it our way and do it on our terms, that, that's how they had Ishmael. They jumped ahead. They jumped the gun. This isn't happening, God. We better do something. We better do it on our own and our own human strength. They jumped ahead. They hatched a plan in their own timing. They forced the promise. They forced the blessing, and they forced the result. And there was flow-on effects from that. God says, I'm doing a new thing, and we are to partner with what he's doing, and that starts with a teachable willingness to go with God and jump into new things, be a part of things that people are doing. Um, for years, uh, our family bought the old rugby club up the hill um, when it went to, went to sale, and uh, <laughs> we're still wondering if we should have done it. Um, <laughs> and we renovated it, and we had an event centre there for years. And, um, and for years and years and years, five or six, seven years, I had this dream of doing youth work out of that space. I had this idea of a, of a hangout space for youth and doing cool you know, mentoring things up in the space, and I applied for funding. Uh, we set up a charitable trust in 2010, um, and we started seeking out funding, and I met with people. We were going to community hui's and, and trying to get things happening, and we had this idea of this. I had this vision in my mind of this would be the space that we would use. And after five years, um, we had a tenant move out, and things weren't going that well financially. The mines all closed, so they weren't using the conference centre. And we, we had an opportunity for a, another tenant um, who are in there now to come in and take over the whole building. And I'm thinking, man, God, I had this idea. I had these dreams of what this space would be used for. I had these ideas of, of God using it for like this mentoring youth space, this hangout space. Anyway, we spent about a month or two negotiating. We signed up everything. We were cutting keys, water blasting, getting everything ready for these new tenants to move in for a 15-year lease. And I'm thinking, 15 years this promise ain't going to happen. This idea, this dream of youth work and all that sort of stuff isn't going to happen. And I promise you, the afternoon, we were cleaning, we were cutting keys, getting remotes sorted to hand over to the new tenants for D-Day, for handover today. That afternoon, we're doing all this work, we get a phone call from this lady from Ministry of Social Development. And she says, hey, I'm Cody from MSD. We've been meeting at the Community Hui's. And uh, it's an open tender, but we would really like you guys to apply to have a youth centre in the main street of Huntley. We've got all this funding available for you, and the building is sitting there. It's right by the bus stop. It's right where all the kids walk past, and it's $500 a year. See, I'd been trying to force it. I'd been trying to do it my way with my plans, and I had these dreams and doing it all my way. See? And when we laid it down and let that go, God came through because he's the provider. See, we can force it. We can, we can do an Abraham and Hagar and try and create our own things and our own new things. But God's got a bigger plan, and that's what he had. And we opened a youth center in 2015 in the main street. And we've had funding since, God's provision, and we're still paying $500 a year. <laughs> 
for, the, for a great space. See, God's doing a new thing in Scripture. says, lean not on your own understandings. In Scripture, Jesus says, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. See, God wants us to be faithful and patient. And a new beginning starts with being willing to wait. That he's wanting to do a new thing over time. So that's the first key, okay, is that we need to not force it. We need to let God do the thing. But the only way sometimes that can happen is we actually have to start doing things, <laughs> stepping out, trying to do stuff, and then God realigns us, okay? The second key in rounding out is we need to put God first with our hearts and our actions. God is wanting to do new things in your family and in your ministry, but he cannot move in a space, in that space, in us, if God isn't first in our lives. And this is a challenge for me, because we have all sorts of plans and ideas. We have to be willing to sacrifice like Abraham. He's carrying the wood up the hill. He's got the sun. He's got a knife in his pocket. He's got a torch with a flame. Read it in Scripture. He's going through with it. Can you imagine the inner turmoil? The absolute inner torment. He was willing to sacrifice his hopes and dreams and this child that had been so hard to come by and we need to be willing to sacrifice our hopes and dreams like Abraham did, put God first. And what happens in that is God comes through and our dreams become his dreams and it all aligns. Over time. <laughs> Not this year. Won't happen overnight, but it will happen. Okay? See, God is into doing things over time and we get frustrated and we try and force it. But we need to put God first and give him time and he'll come through. Proverbs 3.6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. In all your ways, acknowledge him. We hold on to things. We hold on to hopes and dreams. But we need to let go of the things most precious to us, like Abraham did, for God to come through and create that preciousness into something of power. Okay? If you want newness, we need to embrace a new king. Okay? King is the king, man. You submit. Okay? <laughs> you get in line. We've got the society that we are creating ourselves as kings and queens. We create our own kingdom of comfort, don't we? But we're actually a part of a kingdom and we need to submit. And we need to submit to the king of all kings. If we want to be a part of this movement, we have to submit to the king. We can't do a Harry and Megan. I asked Kate, is it too early to throw Harry and Megan under the bus? She's like, nah, go for it. <laughs> They wanted the royalty, but not the submission, eh? They want the influence, but this isn't. Okay. <laughs> Mum says better quit. <laughs> See, we, gotta, we can't have all of the privileges, but not have any commitment and sacrifice, eh? <laughs> Bless them. I hope they come into a place of, yeah. But just as an example, the king is the king and we need to submit, right? We need to submit. 
it's not about us. And man, it's a struggle because life, generally we gear around ourselves, eh? We sort of mostly build our life around our plans and then sort of try and invite God into a little bit of it, yeah? But we need to submit to the King of Kings as Abraham did. Just in closing, a few things that maybe we need to think about having new, new ways of thinking and new faithfulness. Maybe some of us are wanting a new family or wanting things to be totally new in our family. We've got to invite God in and help us through that. Maybe in our marriages, um, the easier option would seem to do something new or different. And God says, no, 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 be faithful. Bring out new things over time. Maybe some of us are sort of feeling spiritually flat, sort of going through the motions, spiritually dead. And God's wanting to do a new thing if we would submit to the King of Kings. Maybe you're really struggling in your work and all you can see is the problems and the challenges. And hey, life is tough and working in with people is hard because people are annoying. (laughs) But in our work, in our work, Maybe we don't need a new job, we just need a new perspective. Maybe there's some sin that's pretty consistent in your life. Habits, addictions, different things you keep looking back to. And you're listening to Satan's words rather than God's promises. And maybe that's something that you need to have new in your life. Maybe you're looking backwards. Maybe you've got a mindset that nothing good can come of you. Maybe you have a thing where you have physical challenges and you think that you'll never be back to full fitness. You're needing a new thing, a new healing. I think what God's saying to us today is he's into doing new things, but it takes time. We can't force it. We have to put God first. We can't force it. We've got to put God first. He wants to bring out a new thing in us, and we'd love to pray with you if there's things in your life that is just totally uh, causing you to not embrace the new things. There's all these parallels with Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, the one and only son, heaps of parallels between Abraham and Jesus, and there's no joke. God never pulls a punch in explaining something really well and drawing out creative ways of explaining a narrative, okay? There's these parallels between Abraham and Jesus. And Jesus became the sacrifice. And the truth is, is all of the stuff we can't do on our own, we have to invite Jesus into our days and into our weeks and into our hours. There is a future for us. God wants to do new things. We just have to embrace Jesus. And he is the one who brings about a newness and a renewal for anyone who is in Christ as a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the story of Abraham and um, Isaac and the powerful, powerful truth of being faithful, putting you first, not forcing it. God, we thank you for these powerful stories of, of, of faithfulness, and we ask, God, that you would do a work in us this morning, that we would realize that you have new things for us that not necessarily mean now things, but that is that Isaiah scripture says that behold, you are doing new things. 
God, I pray that we would recognize that in our life. God, years ago, that prophecy that was spoken over this church, that there would be people pouring down Harris Street to come into this place. God, we know that you're going to do a new thing, but we're willing to wait. We are willing to wait and be faithful and consistent for you to do your work. God, we speak a blessing over this town and a blessing over every single person in this room that we would have faith, the faithfulness of Abraham despite our brokenness, despite our trying to force it and do it our own ways, that God, we would be like Abraham in stepping out and trusting you and God, that the flow on effects for generations to come would be a result of our faithfulness today, God. I pray that we would choose to do the right things and the small things that would blow out into massive things for generations to come. I pray a blessing over each person in this room. Would you guide us? Would we put you first in our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.